evening, y'all. It is a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen y'all, and uh, y'all are one of my beloved congregations uh, that I love to come and see, and whenever I definitely have the time to. Um, great memories have been made here. I've made, uh, made great friends and family here as well. Um, so this evening I will be speaking for, uh, for Brother Walker, uh, not the lesson he wrote, but uh, you know, in, in his place uh, because of his condition. And Lord willing, he will uh, pr- uh, recover quick and go into that procedure. And so let's keep him in our prayers. But as we think about the beauty of worship this evening... Let's begin by turning to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 2. In Revelation chapter 4, in verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne... And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and uh, on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in the front and the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. And the third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all these things and by Your will they exist and were created. That, brothers and sisters, is a very vivid picture of an eternal worship. It is a very vivid picture of absolute holiness. It is a picture of giving glory, honor, and thanks to God. It is a picture of falling down before Him and worshiping Him. And it is a picture of what our worship should be like. Respect, reverence, holiness set apart. You know, it's been said that worship is the closest that we will ever get to heaven on this earth. And while that is the case, worship is the most beautiful thing that we will ever do on this earth. Have you ever contemplated the beauty of each act of worship? Now, 
I know a lot of times when we talk about worship and the acts of worship, we tend to talk about the authority of each act, right? But within each act, there is a great beauty. And not only that, not only does God accept the acts of worship, but He enjoys them. So this evening, that's what we're going to discover, the beauty of each act of worship. Now, as we look at the first one, prayer. Prayer is when we can't put our thoughts into words, but God listens to our hearts. So why is prayer so beautiful? Because it's an incense to God, it's intimate, and it's an inner experience. Now, let's look at the idea of it being an incense. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. And let's notice what it has to say there in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 5 verse 8, the Scripture says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. See, incense and prayer are associated with Old Testament worship. And I find it interesting that, to note that David wrote in the, in the psalm, he said, let my prayers, prayers be set before you as an incense. Now, I don't know if this makes me a girl or anything, but lately I've been getting into candles and stuff like that, and they smell good. Right? And so you, you sit there and you're in a room and you light a candle and out of nowhere that smell starts coming and coming and coming out of nowhere, right? Well, not out of nowhere because you know it's the, the candle. But prayer is like that. Like the heat of hot incense rises, so does our prayer to God. And not only that, but He enjoys it. It's a beautiful thing to Him. But not only is prayer an incense, it's intimate. With God. Notice with me Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. And I know that the scripture is talking about not having people look at you and having your own glory, but Matthew chapter 6, we see a, a key point to our prayers. It says, When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in a secret place. See, when we pray with the intention of sincerely speaking to God without drawing attention to ourselves, we are drawing near to God. And as a result, He draws near to us, right? That Scripture teaches. And when we pray, we are spiritually before the throne of God, face to face with Him, talking to Him, and He hears us. Psalm 34 and verse 15 says this, it says his eyes are on the righteous. Literally, he is looking at you. And when we're praying before worship, he is looking at us. His, his eyes are, are on the righteous and he, his ears are open to us. He listens to us. He, he wants us to cast our cares on him. He wants us to cast our anxiety on, on, on him. Why? Because he cares for us, as 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says. Prayer, to me, is like the conversation between married couples. And I'm about to get married, but, you know, a lot of times, 
between you and your spouse or the person you love, or maybe for some of the kids, your best friend, right? They know everything about you, right? But prayer is like that, those conversations. They tend to be more in-depth. But not more, only more in-depth, but it's allowing yourself to become vulnerable to the point of God knowing who exactly you are at, at your core. He already knows, but you're expressing that to Him, right? And whenever your, your spouse or your, your, your best friend, they know everything about you a, a lot of the times, right? I've learned that with Rachel already that there's some times when she knows things that are going through my mind that I don't even know. I'm like, oh, that makes sense, right? But, but that's what it's like. Your prayers to God, your conversations to God, they're in-depth and they are beautiful. They're intimate. And when we come before worship and we have prayer, that's what we should be thinking of. The intimacy that comes before it. But not only that, it's an inner experience. Notice with me Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Here the scripture says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now that peace of God which surpasses all understanding is the result of not worrying, but rather praying to God, right? Even when the world is at war, Christians can have peace. And even when the world hates us, the Christian can have peace. And even, no matter what your circumstance may be, you can have peace in prayer. And as we come together to pray together, we can have peace as a church. And notice there that it says, because the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. The picture that I think of is the FBI surrounding the president. They don't want anything to happen to him, right? They're protecting him. And the peace of God is surrounding your heart, your heart, your mind, making sure that you are not disrupted, that you are not bothered. But realize that it only comes through our praying to God that we have that ability. A lot of times I think that we are disrupted because we don't pray to God. Right? And therefore we see that beauty of prayer. It's an incense to God. It's intimate with God. And it's an inner experience because of God. But not only that, songs where God is not moved by the quality of our voice, but the condition of our heart. So why is song so beautiful? Because it's an excess. It's edification. And it's an external expression. Now, what do I mean by excess? Notice with me Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Colossians 3 and verse 16. A well-known scripture that we go to, especially to say, you know, song is part of authority, right? But in Colossians chapter 3.16, there is a statement of excess. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See, the entirety of verse 16 is very simple and it's a beautiful statement to us. But just think about brethren that are so filled with God's word that it cannot be contained in them. That it bursts forth and prays to God. 
That's what song should be like. It should be like a volcano that is in your heart that explodes with that praise to God. But not only is it excess, it's edification. Keep on noticing Colossians 3.16 with me as well. He says, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, the value of singing goes further than the expression because singing is teaching and admonishing or edifying one another, right? To build up one another. Singing is instruction as we blend our voices together to God. And when we fail to sing or do so half-heartedly, we show a poor attitude to God. And in addition, we fail our brothers and sisters who may need that teaching and admonishing in their life. It's edification. Picture, the picture that I think of is the songs of the morning birds. When you think about morning birds, they're usually chirping and whistling. and It's a beautiful sound, right? But it's not just chirping and whistling to them. It's communication. And when it comes to our songs and our, our singing to God, it's not just singing words. It's communi- communicating to God the love for him, for him, the expression to Him, right? Which we see in expression, Colossians 3.16, keep going. He says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So it's, it's more than what comes from the lips. It's what's in your heart. Grace to the Lord, right? Uh, Ephesians 5.19 says it like this, making melody in your hearts. So it's clear that whatever comes from our lips is from the condition of our heart. Therefore, we should let the praise, thanksgiving, and melody in our hearts pour out to God as we sing. That's why it's so beautiful. Songs are beautiful because it's an access, it's edification and expression. Next, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, where there is not a more beautiful picture than the God we love on the cross. You know, I'm convinced that, that there are some people, and I know this for a fact, that there are some people who can go to art museums and they can stare at a picture forever and literally be in tears because how beautiful it is. Right? And, and, and when I think of that, a lot of the times we think of the cross as being ugly and you know, despicable and what they did to God, uh, you know, Christ. We think of it in such a negative way. And while it was a bad thing that happened to Him, it is the most beautiful picture because of what it means to us. And every Lord's Day, we have the ability to remember that. It is the Lord's Supper, uh, it is the Lord's Supper that reminds us that Jesus suffered because of us, for us, and with us. Because of us, because ever since man's fall in Genesis chapter 3, man has been in need of redemption. Right? And as Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 tells us that our sins and our iniquities have separated from Him. Separated us from Him. Right? And we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we all sin, the, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6 verse 23. 
And so we need redemption. And that is why Christ suffered for us. Let's notice Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8 real quick. 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Here the scripture reads, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So did you catch that? While we were without strength, while we were ungodly, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because He died for us and through obedience to, to the Gospel, He is the propitiation for our sins, as First John chapter 2, verse 2 tells us. But the fact that Christ suffered because of us and for us is enough. But what, what blows my mind is that Christ suffered with us. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. Notice Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 with me. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 tells us, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So just like we feel the physical sensation of pain because of flesh and blood, so did Jesus Christ. So did He. But not only did He feel the physical sensation of, of pain, He felt it worse than you and me. Probably, we probably would never even get close to what He felt. Right? He felt the, the punching and beating and being smacked for, for being, being the Son of God, Right? And, and I guarantee you, if you get a Christian, and if they were bun- punched, beaten, and smacked, a lot of them might be out of Christianity right there and then. Right? Yes, he felt that. And not only did he feel that, he felt the, the thorns placed on his head, digging into his flesh of his skull. And not only that, but he felt it as they would push it down and just drag through his flesh. And not only that, he felt the, the pain of his flesh being ripped from his bones to the point that he was barely recognizable anymore, as Isaiah would tell us. But not only that, he would feel the, the pain of carrying a cross on his wounds as it would rub as he would walk up to the cro- up to Golgotha. But not only that, he would feel the pain of stakes driven into his hands and feet just so he could be lifted up. He felt the pain of having to lift himself up with those stakes 
drilled into him just to get a breath of air. But that was felt so that we would not have to feel the pain of an eternal hell. Now that is sacrifice. That is love for us. Which leads us to the fact of Christ died because of us, for us, and with us. It is at the cross that we find a God that suffers with His creation. Now, that leads us to the contribution. Contribution, when you sacrifice something that matters for something that matters more. Why is contribution so beautiful? Because it is searching within, it's sacrificing without, and it's supplying with. When it comes to searching within, the first thing we need to do is get rid of our own desires. Get rid of our own desires. Maybe that's the reason why we do not give as much, because we want everything else in the world before we want to give back to God. Search within. But secondly, when searching within, remember the blessings of God. Notice with me 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Here the scripture reads, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though He was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Whenever I think about the the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where it gives you a visual picture of what heaven's going to be like, the streets of gold, the walls, and the picture that is there before us, and I think that Christ left that, the king left that to come down, to live in poverty, to have nights to where he didn't know where he's going to lay his head, to come down for us, so that we might become rich? I think one of the saddest thoughts is that Christ came and suffered and died for everyone, and everyone, not everyone's going to obey him. Not only that, but not even uh, the people in the church. Just because a lot of people in the church doesn't mean that they're worshiping correctly is what I'm trying to get at. That that may cause them their soul. But lastly, when searching within, remember the suffering of Christ. As I said, Isaiah chapter 53 is a very image picture, image, vivid picture of Christ suffering. Right? And so, we can use those to remember what He has done for us. Everything that he, we just talked about in the Lord's Supper was for us. And therefore, that is why we sacrifice without. In the book of Malachi, I find it interesting that God brings judgment upon them because they failed to give back to God. Notice with me Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Let's notice what the scripture has to say here. Here in Malachi, the scripture says, Will a a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, In what way have we robbed you? 
and tithes and offerings. Now, now we don't exactly give like the Old Testament gives, right? But, if God was to come and search our hearts, would we be condemned for our giving? It's a question that we should be willing to contemplate. See, when it comes to sacrificing without, I'm reminded of the church at Macedonia, who was not the, the biggest church, nor the wealthiest church, yet in Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1-5, through 5, it tells us that their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That is to say that they gave beyond what they were able to, as Paul would go on to say. And because they gave in such a way, they were participating, they were fellowship or contra- uh, contributing to the ministering of the saints. So that is to say, when they gave for the mission work of Paul or any other saint that was out preaching the word, they were participating in that work. They were as equally involved. Now, let's talk about the idea of supplying with. Notice with me the end of 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. The key to giving your best to God is seen here. He says, They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So with it comes the realization of sacrifice, monetarily speaking, right? It's the fact that we need to give ourselves to God when we're giving back. Therefore, when it comes to giving, we should not be giving what is left in our pocket. We should be giving the best to God. We should be giving what we have purposed in our hearts, as 2 Corinthians 9.6 tells us. Uh, so let's go ahead and read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Tell us what the scripture has to say here. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, the scripture reads, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously planned, promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So did you notice that we are to give as we are prospered in our hearts? And did you notice that we are to give or have prepared beforehand, before we come to worship, how much we want to give? Right? And the reason that is so that when we give, it's generosity. And it's not an obligation. Nor of success necessity. Necessity. Tongue twisted. Obligation. Right? There's a purpose. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And it should be a cheerful thing to give back to God. Knowing that we are supplying preachers, teachers, and the work of the church. You know, it's been said that 
People give their money to what they believe in. What do you believe in? What do we believe in? It's a question we should contemplate. So that, that leads us to preaching, the last one. Preaching, where our message is driven by the Word of God. Why is preaching so beautiful? Because it is, it is revelation of the God we love. It is proclamation of the gospel we love. And in preach it, we preach a message of dedication to the Christ we love. So we think about revelation of the God we love. It is through the Word of God that the mind of God, the character of God, the, the things of God, the nature of God, it is through the preaching of gospel or the Word of God that He is revealed. You know, uh, Jesus would tell us that He who has seen me has seen the Father, right? Now, if you want to know what the, who the Father is, study the life of Jesus. You can see his account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first chapter of Acts. But even then, that shows you who God the Father is, but you can even find out more about Him in the Old Testament. You can find out a lot about Him in the New Testament as well. We see both sides of Him, the, the goodness and the severity of God. But we need to study it. And that's what preaching does for us. Preaching the gospel allows us to reveal to y'all the God that we love. But not only that, there is a proclamation of the gospel that we love. Notice with me Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Here the scripture says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. When proclaiming the gospel, we are not ashamed because it is that power that dynamite that saves us. And in it is the righteousness of God revealed. Therefore we study it and we preach it. I'm sure if you were to ask Clay or Brother Don or any other preacher, they would tell you that preaching is not a profession. It's a passion. Something we love to do. And with it comes the responsibility that we know that there's a, there's a responsibility of a blessing and also to some degree it's kind of scary because we know we're going to receive a, a stricter judgment because of it. But we still, we love it. We get up and we do it. I'm reminded of Psalm 119 verse 97 where it says, Oh, how I love your law is my meditation all the day. Next, through preaching there is a, medic, uh, a message of dedication to Christ. <coughs> Paul encourages the church at Philippi saying this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 starting verse 4. He's, actually, sorry, verse 5. 
verse 5. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. And as coming in, in likeness of the man, or appearance of the man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the um, obedient to death, even the death of the cross. In that text, we see humility. He humbled himself. We see service. He, he, was, he became a bondservant. Right? We see obedience. Obedience to the point of death. And we also see sacrifice. Even the death of the cross. Now, as I think about those in relationship to dedication to Christ, it takes all of those to really be dedicated. Humility. Humbling yourselves before God and acknowledging that I am nothing without God. But not only that, service. <laughs> takes great humility in that too, right? To serve others. But not only that, we see obedience in our lives. Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments and sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Be living sacrifices. Jesus says it like this in Luke 9, verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Brothers and sisters, being a Christian is not a part-time hobby. It is a consuming career. It is a part of our life every second, every minute, every day of our lives. Therefore, we are called to be living sacrifices. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life of which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We must be willing to say, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When it comes to preaching, we reveal the God, the, the God that we love is revealed. When it comes to preaching, the gospel that we love is proclaimed. And when it comes to preaching, there is a message of dedication to the Christ we love. Preaching where our message is driven by the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, as we started off with Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 through 11, and that great picture that we saw, the beauty of it, the holiness of it, the, the worship that was given there in the eternal worship. Brothers and sisters, if a man or woman is turned off or bored with worship, He's not ready for heaven. Because the scripture tells us that that's going to be a part of worship. When we come to worship God, God expects us to worship with the right attitude and spirit. And in the right way, in truth, John 4 verse 24. I hope this lesson has allowed you to see the beauty of praying to God. The beauty of singing to God, the beauty of partaking of the Lord's Supper, 
the beauty of contributing to the Lord's work and the beauty of hearing the Lord's message. This evening, maybe you may not be a member of the Lord's church. Maybe you want to study more in depth the gospel. I'm sure that there are those who would love to study with you. Or maybe you've heard the word, you believed it, and you want to obey the gospel. You've got to repent, confess, be baptized, and listen to your sins as well. Or maybe as a Christian, you have gone through worship half-hearted, never truly appreciating the beauty of worship. We are here for you, and we can pray for you. Whatever the need may be, come forward as we stand and sing together.